where I want to do our prayer today. So if you got your if you got your sword, I hope everybody brought your sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Uh, open it up to Matthew 11. We're going to start there. If not, I'm going to put most of the things up on the board for you if you don't have it. But uh, in in Matthew 11, you know we in today's world we cannot go around without being armored up. We got to put on that whole armor of God that Ephesians chapter 6 tells us about. One of them is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And that's your, that's your only weapon that is offensive. The rest of them are all defensive to protect you. This one's the offensive one. And what I, I want us to think about today is, is Matthew 11. You know, Jesus is there talking. Um, we need rest unto our souls this day, don't we? With everything that's going on in this world, and in our lives, and everything that's been happening, we need rest to our souls. We want to get rid of grief, disappointments, despair, oppressions that's holding you back, burdens, pain, sorrow. We want to get rid of these things. How do we do it? Well, first off, Jesus talks about that a little bit there. You know, John, you think about John the baptizer. He's a cousin of Jesus. He was anointed from in the mother's womb. He leaped when Mary came in. And he was bouncing around in there. And he was told he's going to prepare the way for the Christ. And he goes and he's doing his work. And just for teaching truth, he taught truth to Herod, the, the, the one that was ruling over them, and because he taught the truth, he was thrown in prison. Pretty soon he's going to lose his head. Because he's, he's going to get a request from Salome, his daughter. I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. But right now he's in prison. And he's having doubts like we do. He's, things ain't going right in my life. And all of a sudden I hear my cousin Jesus is still out there preaching. He's out there teaching. So he, he gets his disciples that come to visit him in prison. And he said, go and ask him. Go and ask Jesus, are you really the one that I was preparing the way for? Or do we seek for another? It, it, was I misled? It, it seems like God hasn't been with me lately. And so have I been misled and am I off track? And the disciples come to Jesus and, and he says, I want you to tell something. Go back and tell my cousin John. I want you to share with him everything that you see. The deaf hear. The blind see. The poor have the gospel preached to them. The lame walk again. You go and tell him those things. And as they leave, then Jesus sat down and teaches them about John's man. Born of woman, there's not a finer man than that. And he's got these same doubts. He's been talked to. He saw the heaven open. And he had the same doubts as we do when things go wrong. So then Jesus used that to teach what we're getting ready to talk about today. Because he told the disciples, he said, even a man like that needs reassurance. And he says, I want you to know something. I want you to come unto me, all ye. That's right there in Matthew 11. Come unto me, all ye who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you 
What? Rest. Don't you want some rest right now? Don't you need some rest in life? Don't from the things that's going on. He says, I want to give you rest. But not only that, look again. He says, take my yoke upon you. You know what a yoke is? We think about that thing going across those uh, animals right there, don't we? A yoke is a teaching. You see, back in the day when the rabbis had a special teaching, there's a rabbi of this and Hillel and these guys, they all had what a doctrine that they was known for, and that was called their yoke. And whenever you went to the teacher, he would say, take my yoke upon you. And Jesus says, I want you to learn of me. I want you to put my teaching, my words upon your shoulders. And I want that to be what you go around with. Take my yoke upon you. I am meek and lowly of heart. And I want to do something for you. I want to bring rest unto your souls. I don't know about you, but my soul needs some rest right now. What I'm going to talk about, you may not need. I, I'll bet most of you, I, I've been watching you today, and I've been hugging on you, and all of you are smiling. So use this like vitamins today, like preventative medicine. Me, this is my antibiotic, man. This is, this is going to be my medicine because I need it today. So Jesus says, I've, I've got something. I've got rest unto your souls so with that in mind, let's prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the word of God on how we can find this rest that Jesus talks about. Fathers, we prepare our hearts and minds to receive your word. Well, I know we need rest right now. Things have been kind of crazy and chaotic. We're in the middle of winter. We need, we need you right now. So as we open up your manna from heaven, your bread of life, we pray, Father, that we can readily understand. We pray for your Holy Spirit to be here among us so that we can receive the word with gladness and with understanding and that it will nourish us and strengthen us and prepare us for what lies ahead in our lives. And Father, we just thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that dwells within us. And we just love you for your grace and mercy and long-suffering. We can't wait to dig in to see what you have to say to us, your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, rest under your souls. We're going to go now to Exodus. We're not going to stop there. Go turn to Exodus chapter 2 if you want to. Because I want to take these words of Jesus about rest unto your souls. And I want to see, he's going to, we're going to get an example, an illustration of, from the Old Testament of what it is like to not have rest ever and also to have that rest and that peace that Jesus is talking about by receiving the word. And as you're turning there, I, I, I want to talk about rest. You know where rest started at, right? Way back in Genesis 1. 
Because after the six days of creation, when God did everything in those first six days, on the seventh day, he what? He rested. Do you know why he rested? Because this is what everything hinges upon. You know why he rested? It was the end of the week, okay? Do you think he was tired? No. It might have been the end of the week, but there's a reason he rested. You know why? Because it says God looked at everything he had done in those six days, and it was all good. good. Then he looked again, and he said, it's very good. The work was done. Everything was ready, so now there's a day of rest. And what God wanted us to know is this. I've done everything for you. You're going to live your life. But when it comes to each week, I want you to realize I've already taken care of everything for you. I've already prepared everything. I prepared the garden, the trees, the earth, the atmosphere. I've done everything that's necessary for you for life. Now all you have to do is take a day to reflect that I don't have to struggle and work for all of that stuff. God supplies it, and that's why he wanted that day of rest, so that we realize that he's God, and he's already got everything handled, and I don't have to worry about it. He wants us to trust him with everything. Did you know what happened every seventh year? It was, it was a year of rest. So on the seventh year, I know I got some farmers in here, I got some folks that plow the ground and plant the fields. You know what God told them to do? Plant it for six years, but on the seventh year, let it grow. Put a cover crop out there. Just let it grow. You know why? Because you're going to trust in me. I'm the one that brings the harvest. I'm the one who takes care of you. And every once in a while, I want you to realize that and trust in me. And if you put your trust in me in that seventh year to just let it go and trust me, those other six years I will make you so fruitful that you will still be eaten on the sixth year when the eighth year's harvest comes in. Because I'm the God that prepares everything for you. But if you don't take the time to realize it, you'll always be chasing your tail thinking I have to do everything when God says I've got it prepared for you. You know what a jubilee year was? That was every 50th year. On the seventh seven years, after 49 years, that seventh seven year, you planted your cover crop and you let the field grow. But this time on the seventh one, you go another year. The 50th year is a jubilee year, and you go another year without planting anything. And now it's a third year, But you know what? I'm going to bless you and take care of you, and you trust in me, and I've got you covered. And I'm taking care of you, and you'll still be eating food in two years whenever you start harvesting again. That is what rest is. So when Jesus says, come unto me and take my yoke and my teaching upon you, and I will give you rest, it's if you will trust in me and place everything in me, Don't have your despair. Don't have your disappointment. Don't have your sorrow overcome and provide an anguish in life that causes you to be bound up with bondage in that that you don't realize that I've already taken care of it for you. You're already forgiven. 
I had a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So I've already got you covered. So that's the idea of rest. Now, as we get into Exodus chapter 2, if you're there with me. Exodus chapter 2. Here, God is going to come to Moses. I love Moses. All of these great folks in the Bible, Moses, Joseph, David, the prophets, I just love them. And they're all written there for our learning. They're written there for a purpose. They're for us to learn from. They are our examples of what God wants us to know about our life. It says he caused them to go through those things. Moses, you remember the persecution and every baby was going to be killed, but his mama saw that he was a special young baby. And she hid him as long as she could and put him in the bulrushes. And Pharaoh's daughter took him out and he spent 40 years growing up in the palace in Pharaoh's house as an heir to that. He came down about 40 years of age and he started wanting to check out his roots and his heritage. And he started going down and checking out the work that the Hebrew slaves were having to do. And he saw one of the taskmasters there beating one of the Hebrews. And it says in the scripture he looked this way and he looked that way. And there wasn't no one watching, he didn't think. So he went up and he smoked that guy and the Egyptian soldier died. He thought everything was cool, but the next day, no one saw me. He buried him in the sand. He goes out the next day, and what does he see? Now there's strife between two of his brethren, two of the Hebrews. And he goes up to him, and he says, why are you fighting? Why, why are you doing that against one of your brethren? And, and then he, he, you see, he already had this pull and this calling on his heart that, that maybe I am someone to help deliver these people out of bondage. They're my people. And instead of getting that, you know what he got? The one Hebrew said to him, who made you prince over us? Why are you coming to me and, and us and trying to judge over us and tell us what to do? You're going to kill me like you did that guy yesterday? Fear. Panic sets in. If these guys know it, did you really think the guy you saved was going to keep his mouth shut about what you did? No one else saw it, but that guy saw it, and he took off, and now everybody in the Hebrew camp knows it. And he says, surely then Pharaoh's going to find out. And sure enough, Pharaoh found out and was wanting to kill him, so he flees. He goes to the land of Midian. He's, he's facing disappointment. He didn't, they didn't accept him. He got rejected. He goes out there. He spends another 40 years with the sheep in the desert, for his father-in-law watching over them, the sheep and the goats. And all of a sudden, he comes over and the bush is burning. He's got them out there. God had just so led him to Mount uh, Hebron out there, uh, where is going to be Mount Sinai. It's the Mount of God. And there's this bush that's on fire, but it's not burning up. And I want you to see what the Scripture says about that. The Scripture says that uh, he, he looked... And the bush wasn't burning. And it says that he, he turned back and went to go look at it and to see what was up with that. He said, hey, what's going on here? I got to check this out. So he turns and he goes back. I want to tell you something. That was the first step on Moses getting back to where he's supposed to be. 
we we as humans tend to to wallow a lot in our guilt in our pain in our sorrow in our disappointment in our rejection and God says I've got to wait until the proper time when you come over by my mount and I put a fire there if we stay focused on us and circumstances and problems we will never see the burning bush the burning bush was just to get his attention so God could talk to him I God may have put burning bushes out there before this time I don't know but I know he did this time and it was this time that he finally went huh that bush is burning and it ain't going nowhere I'm going to go check it out so he walks up to it and he's like whoa and it's then if you see what the word of God says it says when when the Lord saw that he turned to Cain and look at the bush when when you are ready and you take the notion that I'm going to look at what sign God is trying to throw out to me then God can now talk to you and begin to help you you can begin to take that yoke upon you and he says Moses Moses and he goes here I am Hinene, we had that Wednesday night if he was here. Hinene, Abraham said the same thing when God was going to tell him to offer up Isaac. He said, Lord said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Hinene. And Hinene doesn't just mean here I am. Hinene means I am ready to receive your word. What do you want? It means there's a willingness in the attitude to receive what you're about to get. He says, here I am, Lord. And he says, take off your sandals. You're on holy ground now, and I'm getting ready to use you. And they go through all of this old argument. But uh, if you're in chapter 2, look down at verses 23 to 25. He tells Moses, I'm listening to the cry of my children. The people are in bondage. They are sighing. You ever been in such pain and bondage that all you can do is moan? And why? He said, I, I hear the sighs. I hear the cries. I see the bondage that my people are going through. He heard it, and he says, I remember my covenant with my people. And he says, and then it says, God is looked upon the children of Israel and had respect. No, no, no. It wasn't that God had respect. That word is yada. Yada is an intimate word, intimacy. Whenever in, in Genesis chapter 5, when it starts giving the genealogy before Noah, it says, Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore a son. The word for knew his wife is yada. I want you to know something. God is intimate with you. God knows everything about you. God is intimate. He is watching. He is waiting for the proper time. And he says, I know. He did, I didn't have respect. I know what you're going through. I have listened. I have seen. And I am heard. And I am ready to deliver you if you're ready for it. Amen? Amen. I am ready if you're ready. Are you ready to receive it? 
I really do know what's going on. You know, <clears throat> I want you to know something else. John chapter 1 makes a wonderful statement when it talks about how that Jesus came into this world and that he tabernacled with us. You know what it says in there about the Lord Jesus, how that, that darkness didn't like the light, but he is the light and he came, but the darkness didn't want to receive him. You see, we've got to be ready to receive him. But listen to what John 1 says. But as many as received him, to him they gave, he gave the power to become the sons of God. When you're ready to receive it, he says, Jesus gives you the ability to become the son of God through belief in him, it says. So that means you are a child of God when you have received Christ by faith. When you say, I heard the gospel message, I want to believe in that. You have now been given the power from God through Christ and his righteousness and his work on the cross to be a son of God. You are now his children. So now we're, we can put our place right here with these guys because he says, I've heard my children cry. I've heard their sighs. I've heard their moans. I know them intimately. And that's you and I. We are his children. We are his sons. And he says, and then it says, I remembered my covenant. You know what? God made a covenant with us too through Christ. Before Christ left, Matthew 28, 18 and 19 and 20. He said, I want you to go into all the world. I want you to preach this good news to every creature. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them my yoke. Teach them all things that I have commanded unto you. And then he made you a promise. And lo, I am with you. How long? Always. Even to the end of the age. That's right. Even to the end of the world, the end of the age. You've got a covenant relationship with God and you are a child of God. And he says, I am with you always and I know who you are. I am listening to you and I am ready to help. Are you ready to receive? It's about the attitude of being ready to receive. He's, he's always on time because I know most of you are thinking, I've heard you before, preacher. I've heard you say, trust the promise. Uh, God's got a promise. God's got a covenant. But it doesn't seem like it ever affects me where is he when i cry and call he's there and he's ready are you ready are you ready to receive him are you ready for his help turn turn the page turn the page to exodus 3 after 40 years moses is now ready god's called him and he said go and tell him but now moses says you know what <clears throat> i'm up here lord and he turned aside to see and, uh, boy, I'm way ahead of where I'm supposed to be. All right. So now, Moses has been 80 years. You think, don't think God's picking on you if you don't feel like he's done that deliverance yet for you. Moses is 80 years before he's saying, go back and set them free. They've been 400 years in slavery. So God waits for the proper time sometime. But trusting through the times just like they had to do. Now, in verse 7, I, he starts to tell Moses, I've seen the affliction of my people. God knows, beloved. I have heard their cry by the reason of their taskmasters. 
I know their sorrows. Okay. <clears throat> I told you that all this was written for us, right? And that we're putting ourselves in their place. So let's, let's see what God wants us to know about what's going on in Egypt. Egypt is a land like the world. It's, it's the land of the world, and it's the land of bondage, and it's the land that's ruled by the king of darkness, okay? That's where Egypt is. Pharaoh represents that ruler. The taskmasters represents his little army. Remember we talked in Ephesians 6 about putting on the armor of God. Why? Because we're not battling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against darkness, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We are battling against these taskmasters. So this is all the physical things are representing the spiritual. So here's what God is telling us in this story. We've got the world trying to keep us in our bondage. We've got the ruler of that one trying to keep you there and not let you up from your tasks. You've got the taskmasters constantly on you and, and trying to drive you into submission to their will. They want you to go out into the brickyard, into the slime pit, and make your bricks and don't lose your quota. You know what that is? That's your life, your past, your different things that is trying to bring you down and keep you into the bondage, and they want you to keep going into the slime pit each day. If you try to seek rest, Moses is going to say, hey, we want to go worship. And he says, why are you trying to give them rest? Why do you want to? If they've got time to think about that, they need to work harder. We're going to take the straw away from them, and now they're going to go out and make their own straw to make their bricks, and we're not going to let you lose one brick from your quota. You're going to keep it up. You see, the taskmasters that whispers in your ear wants to keep you down in your slime pit, and they want you to keep digging it up. And I'm going to, tell, I'm going to throw this in too, okay? They don't need no help from any of us to keep bringing those things up to people either. They, the, the taskmasters do a good enough job on their own. It doesn't need any of us Christians doing the same thing to another brother or sister in Christ. You got that? The, the taskmasters don't need no help. We are there, it says, to comfort and to do good and to bear one another's burdens and not to put more tasks upon them. So... That's what we're seeing whenever Moses is coming into Pharaoh and saying, I'm wanting you to let my people go. And the king of this world is saying, no, I'm keeping them in bondage. I ain't going to let them go. I ain't going to let them have time to think about a way to get out of all of this. And uh, uh, this is the same thing now. What Moses is getting ready to do here is what Christ did when he taught us there in Matthew 11. <clears throat> When we started about take my yoke upon you, I want to give you rest to your souls. Because in Deuteronomy 18, 15, the prophet Moses said this, The Lord thy God one day will raise up another prophet unto you just like me. Hear ye him. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses came back, and the apostles, the three that went up, saw, and the heavens spoke, and God said, This is my beloved son, Hear ye him. This is the one just like Moses 
that was trying to provide rest. Let's hear what he has to say. So now, verse 8 of Exodus 3, if you're there, uh, he says, God says, I have come today to deliver you. I've come down to deliver you from all of this stuff that you're going through, and I want to bring you out of that land, and I want to take you into a good land flowing with milk and honey. Don't you want that in life? You know, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I want to bring you to a land flowing with milk and honey. It's to bring us, God's desire is to bring us out of those bondages of disappointment and despair and the things that happen to us, our circumstances, we, we want to grow to a point that they don't control us, we control them. Verse 9, I heard your cry, I have seen your oppression. God knows what's going on in your life and what your oppression is. I am sending you, Moses, to bring them here to my mountain again. Moses went, but, 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 but I stutter. I, I don't talk very well. Lord, you can't use me. And he says, oh, yeah, my, my grace and my power is made um, great in weakness. I'll tell you what, amen to the power of God. I couldn't even begin to give a book report in school without crying. I'd be going, no, not me. I'd be sick that day. Look what God does through weakness. You know, Moses, you can. Who do you think formed the mouth? That's why you got to pray every week. Lord, just use me as a vessel. And I open my mouth and you fill it. And the Lord is gracious that way. He says, and besides that, uh, they're going to ask me who sent me. And we don't even know who you are. You haven't spoke to him for 400 years. Who I tell him sending me. He said, I am that I am. You tell him that. You know what that means? That means I am that I am is a Hebrew term that means everlasting God. I was, I will be, I am. That's who you tell him. I am God everlasting, the Almighty One, the Eternal. Verse 15, this is my name forever, and it's my memorial to you in all generations. Now, turn, turn your page again to chapter 4. We're going somewhere with this, okay? Moses tells God, they still aren't going to believe me, and they're not going to hear me. Even if I tell them that the Eternal Lord came, they're going to say, he didn't come to you, he didn't appear to you. So God said this, man, I left my, my little mushroom hunting stick at home and my little stuffed snake that the boys have. I was going to throw that on the ground and pull up the little snake from here. But God said, what's that in your hand? And he said, it, it's my shepherd's rod. He said, throw it on the ground. And he threw it on the ground and he went, Axe! it's a cobra, man, it's a snake. And he, it says he fleed from it because he was scared. God said, no. Here's what I want you to know. Don't be afraid of your enemies. Don't be afraid of your enemies. Soon we're going to have one that says, I will fear no evil. This one's on my heart. He said, don't have no fear, but go down there and you grab it by the tail. So he trusted God and to not fear the enemy. And he reaches down and he picks it up and it turns back into his shepherd's rod. He said, now... Put your hand inside your cloak. And he did and pulled it out. It was white with leprosy all over it. Put it back in. It was clean. Then he said, one more thing, just in case those two don't do it. 
He said, I want you to grab some water and pour it out. He said, it turned to blood. He said, I want you to take the, the Nile River, take water if they still don't believe, and pour it out on dry ground and watch it turn to blood. You know why God was showing him those things? It was to prove that God everlasting, the I am that I am, has power over their little g-gods. What, have you ever seen Pharaoh and his, his Nephetiri and all of those, what their headdress has on it? The little, the little cobra head, isn't it, that stands out on the front? One of their gods was that cobra, that serpent. One of their gods that they worshipped was the Nile River. They thought it gave them life. God said, you go over there and you take that water that they think provides life, pour it out, it's going to turn into blood. And you know what God says about that? The life is in the blood. And the blood of the lamb provides the life. Life isn't in just the water. The, the life is in the blood. And I am the one who turns the water into blood. And Jesus is the one who turned the water into wine, which represents what his blood that we drink, okay? So, he said, tell them all of this and show them these things. So, he goes and we're going to skip the argument that he has with his wife and different things. And he meets up with his brother and he and Aaron goes to meet with, and if you look down at the very bottom of chapter 4 there, I think it is that we're in, or yeah it says that they met with the officials of of israel when they got there and they showed them all of these things and said tell them that the this is the god that is going to deliver you i've heard and they all believed and they began to worship looks like they're starting to get into a good spot isn't it that they they're, they're starting to this is like where they've been in bondage for all of these years and finally, the word of God is coming to him. I want you to know that God is never going to leave you where you're at. He will always bring the word to you. He's faithful. You've got to receive it. And so they begin to receive it. And what I always tell you happens after a little bit of a spiritual victory. You remember? You've you got to get ready for some affliction, don't you? That's for sure. If you get a little bit of a spiritual victory, the devil's going to come after you twice as hard. Pharaoh and his taskmasters are going to come twice as hard every time you start to get a little bit of foothold on a spiritual victory. So here they are. They see this. God is starting to answer my prayers. They begin to worship. And the first thing is Moses goes in there to talk to Pharaoh now. And, and Pharaoh's like, hmm. Do what? So also known as Satan, by the way. So he says, God wants these people to take a rest from their burdens. That's what we're looking for, isn't it? We're looking for rest from our burdens, rest into our souls. And he says, so let us go out and to worship our God. And, and Pharaoh looks at him and says, rest from your burdens? <laughs> you got too much time on your hands. He sends them out and he calls in his taskmasters, those those fallen angels that serves him and he calls in the taskmasters and said don't give them the straw make them still keep their quota and just get after them get after them so that they don't have time to think about rest oh so now down to verse 15 
The leaders of the people, they didn't understand what's going on. They're out there and all of a sudden no straw comes in. They start getting beat for not making the same amount of bricks and the bricks falling apart without straw. Now they're the, the women and children and everybody's out cutting straw and bringing it back and they're still trying to make their bricks. Get them back in their pit. Get them back in their, in their trash thing. What do we tell people in, in prison, Johnny, whenever we go in there about the rooster story? Quit digging it up. That, that rooster was dead. I'm going to read it to you one time, right, right, Ken? There's a story in there that we tell those prisoners because they're, they know what they've done in prison and they're sitting there thinking about it. And there's a prize rooster that got killed and I'll read it one day. But it, the boy killed it and buried it and it keeps getting dug up again. And he has to keep going and trying to bury it. And the dad said, I already knew. You didn't have to keep going and digging things up and trying to put it out there it it's over with god's trying to say i'm here to deliver you get rid of that stuff but the devil says get back in your slime pit get to making bricks and don't think about any rest from the oppression and the affliction and the bondage i've got going on for you and the leaders didn't understand it and so they go into pharaoh and they say why have you treated us this way why are you dragging us back down again why are you getting on us and beating us for this and not giving us straw and you know what pharaoh said remember this is our enemy of darkness you know what pharaoh said to him it's all your fault it's because of you that all of this is happening how many times you had that whispered in your ear huh it's all because of you it's your fault no it ain't he's trying to make it still that's get out of the pit so he says why are you dealing? Because it's all your fault. Right there. Verse 16 at the end. It's all your own fault, people. Verse 17. You're idle. You had too much time on your hands to think about the bondage and trying to get free from it. So you should have been satisfied with my yoke that's upon you. My bondage that I'm putting on you. You sought the Lord instead thinking that maybe he'll give you rest. Mm-mm. Get busy in your brickyard and get back in there at it. I remember a little sign that we used to have at work. The beatings will continue until your morale improves. Be happy with what I'm beating you with and get going, okay? Is what he said to him. So Moses and Aaron knows that they went in and talked to Pharaoh. So they're anxiously awaiting to see what word comes back. And they come out, and you know what the leaders say to Moses and Aaron? Pretty much call them scumbuckets. You, know? you guys are scumbuckets. You went in there and provoked him to anger, and now he's saying it's all our fault, and this is why we're doing this. It's only gotten worse ever since you came around and said you was going to try to help. Look what happened. You ever had that one whispered at you? Yeah, You're just making everything worse. Ever since I tried to come back to God, everything seems to get falling apart and, and getting worse. No, that's the enemy trying to keep you there and to tell you that. So uh, God says, I want to deliver you. He says, you've brought evil, not deliverance. You, you, Moses now faces his disappointment again, doesn't he? I mean, they've just called him every name in the book. And you have made everything worse on us. And you know what Moses does? Moses is a man of God. 
but he's facing disappointment, rejection again. Last time he ran for 40 years, but this time he just gets on his knees. And he prays before God. And he says, Lord, why would you even send me here? Why did you even take me out of Midian and the sheep and the life that I had to bring me here just to make matters worse for these guys? You are not showing up at all. You're not delivering on what you said. Folks, that's the danger zone. If I can warn you of anything today, it's to be careful when you get to that point. Because that, for a Christian, is the danger zone. When you start thinking that God is not going to show up and things are only getting worse, and it's better off that I hadn't have even came back or came to God there's your danger zone you know what danger zone can cause bad decisions and bad decisions can cause defeat so right here is where you got to buckle up with that armor you see Moses is going to but the rest of the children of Israel are not they're they're never going to be happy in the next 40 years as they fall in the wilderness because they're not going to trust and rely on God no matter what he does. And Moses is going to say, when God tells him, I'm going to deliver, it's a promise. He believes it. And even though he's going through these things, he, like Paul, can say, I've been through everything, and yet I still find contentment. I still find a peace of mind through everything that's going on. Okay, turn, turn to chapter 6 now. Exodus 6. The Lord said to Moses, the word of the Lord came. Again, you're always going to get a word of the Lord when you're in these situations. And he says, don't get distracted. Don't get depressed. Keep going. Now, Moses, you see what he says? He says, now I am ready to act for y'all and with a strong hand. There's always the proper time that God was waiting for. And he says, now is it. And you're going to see what I can do. I am ready for it. Are you ready? Look at verse 3. Here's something. Well, I hope this, this really impresses upon you and that this will bring you through some stuff, okay? Look at verse 3. I appeared unto Abraham. Abraham was special, wasn't he? I mean, he's the father of our faith. God says, I appeared to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. When I appeared to them... It was as God Almighty. That's how my name was. El Shaddai. Tell Daniel I missed him because he always remembers that when telling him he should have been here. El Shaddai. When I came to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I was El Shaddai. El Shaddai is the God who is all-powerful, who can do these things. He said, but I'm going to appear to you now. I'm going to give you my intimate name. I was not known to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob by this name. Really, I thought that he would have been. But he says, no, Jehovah, Jehovah. Tell them that I am Jehovah. That's my intimate name that they didn't even know me from. And I hear them and I am coming to your rescue. I want you to tell you something. Would, don't you think that made Moses feel special and the children of Israel feel special? We got an intimate name that even Abraham, our father, didn't have. I'm going to tell you all something. God loves you so much that whenever you become a son of God, like it says in Acts 2.38, 
Jesus said, this is, I want you to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and follow my teaching. Peter followed that up with repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. And what are you going to receive? Exactly right, Mr. Ray. The gift of the Holy Spirit. They got a gift of a new name, an intimate name. God loves you so much, you not only got a name, you've got God living inside of you, taking residence within you. They, they didn't have that. You are special. You think they had intimacy. God says, I'm going to put my spirit within you. So he's, we've got it so much better. But he says, I'm giving you this name and I've hear, heard your groaning and I remember my covenant with you and I'm going to deliver you. And that's fellowship with God that we have. Now, he says this, though. His message of this, though, the children of Israel refused to hear because they came to that danger point and they made a bad decision. Moses is going to make the good one and try to tell them that they made it a bad one. You know what the bad decision was? Look at verse 9. Verse 9. When Moses told them what the Lord said, that I, you are my people, I'm going to be intimate, you're going to get my new name, it says that they would not listen. Why? You read it up there? Because of the anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. There comes a point in the danger zone that if you stop listening to God because of the anguish and the pain and the burdens, you will stop listening. If you concentrate on the situation, you'll stop listening to the promises. They refused to listen that God had come to deliver them because of what was going on. Now I ain't going to believe it. God's not going to help me. Don't get to the danger point. They went back in their minds to the slime pits. Anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. God says, I have come to deliver you from that. Now, go to Deuteronomy 21. I promise we're, we're closing. We're getting close, okay? But De Deuteronomy chapter 1, it's just a few pages to the right. God's speaking now. He's telling us not to be afraid of the giants. You remember how the, the people of God, oh, we can't go in there because of giants. I'm telling you, don't be afraid of your enemies. Oh, they're the children of Anak, and they're, boy, we're grasshoppers in their sight. And Oh, don't be afraid. That's a part of this anguish of spirit. You're, you're afraid to go up against it. They had all of the fruits of the land. God said, didn't I show you the fruit of the land? You remember, have you ever got a cluster of grapes at the store? I mean, you can hold it with two little fingers, and it's about this, this long. And don't you remember when you said, I, we got to send spies in. We don't trust you, God, so we're going to send 12 spies in, and I let you. And they went in and seen that it was a good land. I have, I've prepared the land of rest for you with everything good. Get out of the wilderness and cross over into the land of rest that I am providing. And they said, well, we got to check it out first. We don't know if you're telling the truth. They go over there. You remember it took two men 
with a pole to carry one cluster of grapes because of how big and heavy it was. God says, I've got the stuff prepared for you. Are you going to do it? They say, no, we're not going to we're not going to believe. Look at verse 27 there if you're in chapter one. Oh, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. And God says, y'all murmured in your tents all night against me. You're saying the Lord hates us. That's why we're in this predicament is because the Lord hates us. Verse 28, you were discouraged in your heart. There is the key. Get that out of your heart. I said to you, be not afraid, but you did not realize that I am already going before you. God's trying to tell him, do you not see where you are in life? These people are getting to the end of that 38 years. We're, we're up in our life right now. He says, don't you realize I've been with you every step of the way? Before you pitched your tents, I've already been in front of you and scouted out the land, and then I place my pillar of cloud or fire over the place that I've already selected. You're going to be safe. You're going to be sound. You're going to be provided for. I led you every step of the way. Everything you've done, I've been there, but you will not still trust me that I'm taking care of you. You won't see it, and you murmur, and you complain, and you cry, and you stay in your wilderness of despair and disappointment and that anguish of heart that does not allow you to see the burning bush. It does not allow you to see my cloud, my pillar of fire. You're not seeing it because I'm seeing what's going on inside of me. For 40 years, they've done that. God said, I searched out those safe places for you in verse 33. In verse 32, look again. In all of this, you still did not want to believe me. Now, tell you what we got to do to get rid of all of this. See, Moses did it, and they didn't. You know what you got to do? You want to come back next week, or you want to hear it today? Let's hear it. Okay. I, I can't send you out without how you're going to fix this stuff and how you're going to do it, okay? Turn to Hebrews 3. We're going to go back to the New Testament, and I'm going to close here in a minute. I know you said that before, Daryl. God talks in Hebrews chapter 3 about the time of Moses in the wilderness and you kept hardening your heart instead of seeing the blessings, you hardened the heart because of the anguish of your soul. He said, they never entered into my rest. And remember, that wasn't talking about eternal life. That was talking about the blessings of this life. They could, I gave a manna from heaven every day. I poured Millions of gallons of water out of a rock. You had the best food. It tasted like angel food. It had every vitamin and mineral. In that 40 years, you read the promise of God. They never got sick, except a couple of times that some of them went really haywire and God had to come down and punish them. But for 40 years, they did not get sick. Their shoes did not wear out. Their clothes did not wear out. He took care of them every day, and he said, you still did not mix that with faith. You still didn't see it, and you kept hardening your heart instead of mixing it with faith. So then he, he goes on into chapter 4, and he says, all of this was for you to know and to be reminded of on what you've got to do to not be like them 
but to be like Moses, to take the yoke upon you of Jesus so that you can have rest unto your souls. How do you do? He said, don't let my promises. Look here at chapter 4. Do not let the promises that I've given to you go unanswered, to go for nothing. Don't stay hardened in your heart. But go ahead. Don't be left out of entering into my rest and come short of it. Why? How do you come short of entering into rest, into peace and happiness in this life? How do you come short? Look at what it says there in the red part. The word preached. The gospel was preached to them, but they didn't accept it. They wouldn't receive it. But the word preached did not profit them because it wasn't mixed with faith that those who heard it, so they never entered into that peace. If you take the word of God, the promises, and mix it with faith, you enter into rest and peace of mind and comfort. I provide perfect peace. I can provide a peace that can pass your understanding, but you got to believe it, you got to receive it, you got to trust it, and then you got to mix it with faith. I got any people here, any people, I, I know you guys make cakes. What about uh, biscuits? You ever make biscuits? How do you make biscuits? Yeah. Well, well, you to make biscuits, you know, I, I make biscuits, okay? To make biscuits, you got to have some ingredients, don't you? Let's say those ingredients is the Word of God, okay? Let's just say we're trying to make biscuits and we need ingredients. Just like we, we, we want to have peace of mind, how do we do that? How do we, how do we do it? Well, on making biscuits, I'm starting to get hungry already. Whew. I never eat before I come, okay? I, I want to stay hungry for you all. So thinking about biscuits and good old sausage gravy right now has got me going, okay? But to make them big old fluffy biscuits, you got to take some flour, some bacon soda, and bacon powder, and salt, and water, don't you? And then what do you got to do with it? Stir all of it up. What's that say up there in, in verse 2? It wasn't, what, mixed with faith? Let me show you something. Did we not just say that these ingredients made biscuits? Here's your biscuit. Go ahead and eat. Why would, why, why would you not just go to town on this? It's not been mixed, has it? You haven't mixed up the dough, and then what do you do with it after that? Put it in the oven and bake it, don't you? That's, that's where faith comes in. That's what faith is. Faith is putting it in the oven and letting God do the work. Letting God bake the biscuit. I can try with all of my might, and this is not going to be appetizing. I've got to mix it with faith, put it in the oven by faith, and God is going to make me some biscuits. He does, I can try, I can even mix it, but without faith, I can take all of that and mix it and say, I'm going to do it, and it's still going to be dough. It takes faith to put it in the oven and watch God do the work. God says, if you will trust me, 
Forget about what you think you're going through, what's on your mind, but take my word, keep mixing it with faith and putting it in the oven. The biscuits ain't done in two minutes. They got to bake. And when they're ready, it's ready for you to eat. So as our praise team comes on back up, I hope this message exalted God for his word and what he put in there for us. And it allows us to see that there is a situation of life in the Old Testament that God has put for everything for us. And he's got an answer to it. And the New Testament reveals it. Jesus says, I want to put my yoke upon you. I want to provide rest unto your souls. We can either be a Moses and go through the same things they did, but we mix it with faith and we make biscuits. Or we can be like they were and concentrate on the anguish of what's going around in my soul and let my soul become bitter and become dejected. And I will never make biscuits because I have never mixed it and then give it to God in faith to let him take care of my problem. And I pray that this word has edified the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit make this real for you, and that it is exalted, Father. And dear Lord, we just thank you for this wonderful message that you've given to us. These folks did this, your word said, and went through these things, and it was written so that we, through patience and learning of this scripture, that we might have hope. And so, Father, I pray that this has given hope to your people, your children, those who you've given the power to become the sons of God. If there is anyone here, Father, who has not done that, that they've never mixed with faith and accepted your son and has, has did what he asked to be baptized into Christ, that is just the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. It's imitating that. And it's saying, I believe in it, so I'm imitating it. Father, let today be the day that that decision is made because they've stopped. They took time to look at your, your message, your burning bush, and they listened, and they understand, and they're ready. And Father, for those who are your sons that already have become through that power of the sons of God, we pray that this word will be mighty to save, Father. It will be mighty to bring us out of the pit and out of the, the slime pit and it's gone, Father, and we cross over. We, we have now mixed your word and your promises with faith and you've baked the biscuits and we crossed over into the promised land and we can have that peace and contentment and joy in life knowing that your word reigns supreme in our heart through your spirit. We ask for your help because it's not easy in this world we live in. We ask for your help in all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.